Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Kevin, welcome to It's TechTastic. It's lovely to have you here. Pleasure to be here. You talk quite a bit about AI, the importance of data literacy. It's critical to anybody that's doing AI. It's critical to anybody building a startup. What does it mean when we talk about data literacy and why is it so important? Yeah, I think it's hard for people sometimes they hear data literacy, they say, oh my God, data, I'm not a data person. I'm not a technical person, so not for me. And and then if you take a step back and just for your audience, just think about what you've done today, you probably made 10 or 20 or 30 different decisions already with data, whether you knew it or not, whether you saw a news channel like the weather and it showed you the probability of rain or whether you were buying a coffee pot and you went on Amazon reviews, all of those things. So we're inundated with this information and and our brains are really, really good computers, but they're also limited because, you know, hundreds of years ago, hundreds of thousands of years ago, it wasn't taking in all of this information overload that we all have now. So it has these shortcuts, it has these patterns and what it brings in sometimes is not the accurate representation. So to me, data literacy is understanding the mindset that data is here to stay. It's not going to hurt us. It's going to help us. And we understand that the brain, how it processes it. But what we want to do is take that data, generate some insights that are relevant to my problem statement at hand, and then make a decision. So the way I like to think of it is there's different ways that things are stored in your brain. There's data, which is like the number 12 right? Data. Without anything else, 12. Okay. Well, then there's information, which is where you've aggregated. Okay. 12 is the number of times I've been to this coffee shop or whatever. But then you start building opinions and beliefs. And that's where you get into what we call knowledge and understanding. So I believe this is the best coffee shop because I've been there 12 times. I keep going back. My I love it, whatever. Ultimately, you want to get to a point of wisdom, which is where your brain's tested the hypothesis. So long way of saying data literacy is about using data to make better decisions. And when you make an incorrect decision or less than ideal, revert back and realize that maybe there was a flaw in the process. On the previous episode, we were talking to an expert and he was talking about mindfulness and it's all about our perspective. And that actually brought up a lot of thoughts for me around like bias. We have bias when we're doing training data and understanding what that bias is so you can correct it out. Uh, But in our lives, there was a great set of experiments. I don't remember when or where they were done, but uh, one of them involved a bunch of participants watching a video and there was something happening that caught their attention. And then a person in an ape suit walked through the middle of it, right? And nobody saw the individual in the ape suit. Well, it's kind of a form of bias, but you talked about our brains being great computers and they are, but in a sense, we've trained them to pay attention to what we consider important. They've, They've been taught to do certain things. And often that means, as you were talking about my favorite coffee shop, it's probably my favorite coffee shop or it's the best coffee shop because there's a cute barista that paid attention to me, not because it has the best coffee. Like I've created this narrative that might not be based on fact or evidence, but is based on that bias and that experience. Absolutely. And what you're describing, that creation, that's like a mental model and we all have them and and they're all different, 
because you might have gone there and someone might have yelled at you or you maybe had a bad experience on a phone call that you don't even directly correlate to being there. Um, I remember as a kid, I used to always get sick at this one restaurant unrelated to the food. And I always had the stigma of that restaurant. Now the restaurant's not bad, but the, the point is I unconsciously, my brain was saying, oh, don't go there. You're sick every single time. And, and that's the point, the same thing you mentioned. I, I used to do workshops where um, the first day I'd wear a pink shirt. And then the second day I would ask people, how many people saw more men wearing pink shirts? And they'll raise their hands. How many thought that I actually went around and paid people $10 to say they saw me in a pink shirt? No, it's because I told you it was relevant in the first day. You didn't actually look for it, but it just happened to be the brain didn't filter it out because it's like, it's not relevant before you made the point. Now it's relevant. So brain's really great. But again, that's the whole point there is it's based off of our beliefs. And sometimes our beliefs are outdated or wrong. So how do we get past that? I mean, the problem with those types of biases, you're, you look at it and say that's true because I had that experience, my limited experience. How do you get past that when you don't even know you're doing it? Yep, and that's the big point is, I don't wanna say all these times we do these, it's, it's conscious, right? It's like you said, we don't know we're doing it. And that's why it's so potentially important for everyone to be aware. So the first thing I always do is say, you have to be aware. I tell my kids like the three things I always want them to do is I want them to study overseas. I want them to take a course in graphic design because I want that creative side and they have to take psychology because they have to understand if they're going to interact with people, they have to understand what makes people tick. Same thing is we all have to know that in the world we live in today, most of our opinions are based off of a bias. That doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means they're based off of a limited perspective. So engage in different perspectives. One thing I do if I have to make a strategic decision, like starting a new company or similar, is I will never just hone in on one idea. I'll always do at least two, because then the brain has to compare two as opposed to confirmation bias, which I will find everything in the planet that says my answer is right and ignore unconsciously everything that contradicts it. You just made a point there that I, I didn't even realize I was doing this. If I start to realize that I believe something, doesn't matter what it is, I immediately start looking for evidence to the contrary, just as a safety net, because I don't want to be stuck being wrong. Perfect. And that comes from long experience being an entrepreneur and believing like that's the perfect market. We've got the perfect solution and then getting it into market and finding out it wasn't a good market or it wasn't a good solution trying to make sure we don't make that mistake early. It does lead itself to a different problem, which is like never feeling like you've really got uh, clarity of purpose because it's always in question. You're always going, wait, are we, are we sure about that? And uh, sometimes you have to be able to shelve it and say, we're sure enough about that. Absolutely, and that's the critical question for entrepreneurs and others is when is it up? I think it was back in like 2006 or 2016, Jeff Bezos, wrote something in one of his shareholder reports that said exactly what you said is, is we're never gonna have enough information to make a decision with 100% certainty. My commitment to you is I'm gonna go with about 60 to 70%, but the key thing is if it's not right, we're gonna identify it quickly and course correct. So I think the key takeaway there isn't 60 to 70. The key takeaway there is evaluate it quickly and course correct. So the speed at which you make a decision, now obviously if the decision's life or death or it's something that is a decision where it's one and done and you can't come back from it, your risk level is gonna be a lot more lower than something that's much more operational. So define the risk level. And then as soon as you make the decision, it's okay to come back. But that's again, where the soft skills in the brain comes in is we as humans don't like to admit we're wrong. 
So we need that intellectual humility to say, you know what, I wasn't right, let's go in this direction. Uh, one of the things I talk about a lot in technology organizations is the sunk cost fallacy yep. that comes with technology decisions. And it becomes true because people don't want to revisit a decision that was already made because there's all the cost involved in it. I just spent a ton of money on that system or that solution. We don't want to change course. But the reality is that you're making decisions based on imperfect information at a moment in time where you can't, like you're going to get better information as time progresses. That's just learning. Mm -hmm. And an organization will make a decision and implement it in code or implement it in processes and say, well, we can't revisit that because we've invested all this time and money into it, which is where tech debt and most failed processes actually happen. And always being able to say, just because we did it doesn't mean we should continue to do it and being able to put that into just how you organize and how you operate, like always questioning that, is something I coach organizations to do. But the hard part has always been getting the data and getting the data literacy within the org to act on the data. And so one of the reasons I was really excited to get you on was to start talking through the data literacy part, because as you said, a lot of people say, I'm not a data person, I'm not a technical person, but every role within every organization should yeah. be a data literate role. Absolutely. And I like what you said earlier, like one of the strategies for entrepreneurs is try to set up situations where it's not a one way door, right? Obviously, there's things like you talk about the space shuttle and NASA and going to the moon, like there's high risk with those things. So you're talking about businesses, if you do A-B testing, you do trials, you do these things, you're building up your confidence there and you can come back from them. What you said about some cost fallacy and technical debt is so true. Part of it is just the human components of us don't want to admit we're wrong. Part of it is, as you said, is we don't have the data literacy skills to be aware. What I would do in those situations, I would say, okay, let's make our decision for five years from now. What's the right answer? And then anyone who's data literate and figures things out is going to say, okay, well, in five years, we're going to have so much technical debt. We're going to be stuck more entrenched into these systems we can't remove. And I find that helpful where we say, okay, we can't leave because we have this system. Then I say, okay, blue sky it, forget we have everything. What do you want to do in five years? And then ask them, how do you go from here to there? They don't have a good answer. And the answer is go backwards. They're just not thinking backwards. And I think that's kind of what we're taught as kids and never really think about is it's okay to go backwards. Oftentimes it's the only way forward. Exactly. I was thinking about this like on a maze solving robot problem. Like if you build a, an AI virtual system to try and do it, you'll notice that the ones that solve it aren't the ones that always just plow ahead. They're the ones that plow ahead and back up and then try a different route until they find a path forward. And eventually they learn how to identify what's going to block them down the road. And I think of the data aspect that way too, is like, it's okay to go backwards because that's the only way you're going to move forward. And you visualize it as a maze and say, okay, we know that that now is a dead end. That was not a path we wanted to go down, or maybe it even leads to something. It just doesn't lead to the cheese, right? So we've got to find a different path. It's a lot freer way of approaching it. It also changes the way you design your processes and your solutions and technology. Absolutely. Have you ever heard of anything called the marshmallow challenge? It relates right to this. I forget who started it, but it's this challenge where you get some strands of like spaghetti or some wood or whatever. You, you have some string, some tape, you have a marshmallow and the challenge is you have a time limit, build the tallest structure with the marshmallow on top. And whoever did it, did all these tests. What's really interesting is a group of kindergartners will outperform CEOs and executives and others. And then they did a group where they did CEOs plus their executive assistants, and they actually did better. And the takeaway, when you look at it, 
is the kids don't have long-term memory. So they don't say this is the right answer. They iterate quickly. They test, they don't. Whereas every other group, MBAs, executives, typical business people, they say, here's the right answer. They go till there's 10 seconds left, they test it and it falls and they get zero as the height. <laughs> Whereas the kids are all the ones that are saying, no, that didn't work, no, that didn't work. They try like six, seven different solutions. That, that, like you said, it's the key takeaway in business. We don't think we need to try and if it failed, go backwards, right? Or sideways or whatever. But that challenge just highlights to everyone, you're gonna have better results if you take that approach. The fear of failure part is so ingrained, especially into a system that we have in place. If you have a single failure, it can feel like it's the end. Yeah. And what I love to point people at, think of the most famous entrepreneur you can imagine. Like Today's probably Elon Musk or somebody like that, which isn't helping my story. But prior to that, you would have thought maybe Thomas Edison or uh, Henry Ford or somebody like that. It's like, well, how many times did Henry Ford go bankrupt before he had Ford Motor Company? Twice right? Yeah. He's not the huge failure. He's a huge success. And it was because of those failures, he was able to have the success. And I think that even pointing at somebody, you know, like Jeff Bezos or anybody like that too, they probably failed a lot before they built, you know, in Jeff's case, Amazon, maybe not in a way that we all are aware of, but I guarantee Amazon wasn't his first attempt at trying to build something. It, it might've been his first company. I don't know, but it wasn't his first attempt because you don't learn at least I don't. I don't learn well from the successes because all I learned from that was what I did worked, but I didn't learn anything more than that. So I'm, I'm just confirming what I already knew. That's not learning. I learn everything when I screw yeah. something up. Absolutely. And then there's two angles that there's what you had said, which is so true, is that the best way to learn is when we're kids, I feel like we really need to flip the classroom as we use an assessment as a way to score someone A, B, C, D, they failed. The assessment should be up front to figure out where they're oh. struggling, where they failed, learn from it, and then teach them that way. And there is approaches that do that, but it's just not mainstream yet. The other angle of the learn from failures, especially for your audience going from like technical to startups is there's an angle where you're not necessarily failing, but you fear status going backwards. Like you're this director at a company doing technology and your goal is to get over here. Well, sometimes to get over here, you have to go to a job where you're not a director or maybe not a people leader and then grow up. And it's not really a failure, but just our brains and our the way we're brought up, we don't wanna go, we're like, oh, I'm going backwards, I got demoted. No, you didn't get demoted, you're going on a different path and this is your way to get to that path. Don't look at it as down or up or sideways. It's, you wanna go over here, there is no direct way, you have to go this way. But again, we don't tend to think like that and I, I wish we did. Wow, I actually, as you said, I was like, oh, my own career path looks exactly like that, right? Yeah. Um, I started in the startup world, I did a bunch of them, president, CEO, etc. But then I realized that I was topped out. There was information I was missing, there was skills I was missing, and I was self-aware enough to say, I need to learn these things. How am I going to learn these things? Well, I'm not going to do that by doing what I've been doing. I've got to find something else. And so then I went and worked for a giant corporation in a much lower level title-wise role and learned an immense amount about organization management, people management, bureaucracy, and, and managing that as well. But I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I just kept trying to do what I was doing because the topped out problem was limiting my ability to grow my own organization. There's steps in leadership that a lot of people also don't understand. It's not one set of skills. It's like a yeah. new set of skills every time you make the next step. And that has more to do with just communication and the way that people interact and all that fun stuff. But Absolutely. I'm similar to you, right? I'm a chief learning officer right now. And I figure my next job, I'm not going 
quote unquote up, I'm probably going to another avenue to learn different skills and then grow up that way. And most people don't want to do that. But you and I are a few that I hope educate everyone that that's the right path forward for everyone. Well, not for everyone, but if it is the right path for you, it's the right path for you. I've never felt comfortable if I'm not learning. Yeah, I, I want to constantly be growing. Whereas my wife, on the other hand, she's an expert in education, safety, and health. Multiple masters, the whole alphabet soup kind of thing. And that's her comfort zone. That's what she's great at. She loves being the expert and she continues to learn, but it's in that space. Whereas for me, I like connecting big things together in interesting ways, right? Yeah. So we have different needs and that meant that we had different career paths. Hers was go in and go follow a straight line. Great. That wouldn't have worked for me. I just couldn't have uh, ever found what I needed in life from that. So it's not for everybody. I also don't think being an entrepreneur is for everybody. Well, that's the thing. I think why it also gets hard is people need to know what their North Star is and some people don't know. So I would argue with some of the audience, you say, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? either they don't know or they have an answer that maybe isn't the real answer. I mean, obviously some people might do it for power and fame and money and other things, but it, do you really like the technology, really like rolling your hands up? And I don't know necessarily the way to fix that, but I found that through my career, there's a lot of times people are doing things where they don't have that North Star. And that's not to say everyone needs to have a North Star. You need to kind of have a direction and same thing, it's a revolving door. Learn from it, it doesn't work, go somewhere else. But otherwise, you're you're basically imagine yourself in a boat in the ocean. You don't know where you're going. There was a comedian that actually gave a, a great description of like, if you can imagine doing anything else but being a comedian, anything else, do that. But if you can't imagine doing anything else, be a comedian. Yeah. I think the same thing's true of definitely the entrepreneurial journey, because if you can imagine doing anything else, if you could say, oh, it might be fun to go do something else, you know, maybe the thing I like is the leading people in technology. Go work towards being a CTO somewhere, like at a company that you don't have to bleed your soul and your blood into the company to get it going. If you could imagine doing anything else, do it. But if you can't, there's a path to that too. And that path is winding and it's ever evolving. Like you'd never know what's gonna come up next. For me, the generative AI and the transformer based AI solutions that are out there today made me rethink 30 years of my career, which was why it's so exciting. I didn't feel like I knew anything anymore. I was like, wait, you know, I've personally been in predictive systems for a long time, you know, between ad tech, e-commerce with recommendations, and then with the routing systems and predictive systems for supply chains. We've been doing forms of machine learning, big data solutions for quite a long time, but this is new and this transforms everything. The transformers transform everything. Amazing, right? So for me, that was a moment to reset back again and go, wait, I don't know anything. Now, how do I re-engage with this space? And I think that a lot of people listening to this podcast are interested in AI because of the opportunity and they're interested in being an entrepreneur because of the opportunity that comes with that, but they're doing it with a limited amount of data. Yeah. They see the Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, I can name a bunch of entrepreneurs in the technology space that have done exceptionally well for themselves, but they don't see the 9 million American startup founders this year that'll fail. If you're going in believing that I'm going to be rich someday because I'm doing this, you're wrong. You're not going to unless you get exactly everything right. But to do that, you're going to get a lot of things wrong along the way. Absolutely. A ton of things wrong. And I think one of the things interesting for your audience to hear is my thoughts going back to all the other companies I work for, you might still have the right idea, but 
you still need those soft skills to actually execute on them. So sometimes we blindly say, okay, we're a technologist. I don't need emotional intelligence. I, I don't need systems thinking. I don't need active listening. I don't need any of these things. Well, I, I'd say 100% you're wrong. Maybe you didn't need them hundreds of years ago because things didn't change. But to your point, things are changing so fast now that you always need that growth mindset, but that's where you also need the soft skills so you can be resilient and adapt and learn these new trends and be able to listen to the experts around you because there's a very good chance that the people around you as things evolve have touched it more than you have and been involved in it more than you have and you've got to be able to take that in and absorb that knowledge in some form absolutely kevin we're getting really short on time i want to direct people to ways they can learn more about you and you've got the website turning data into wisdom.com if they want to know more if they want to interact with you in some form how would they do that yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, anyone can reach out to me LinkedIn. Um, I think there's two Kevin Hannigans in the world. So just do the one that has data literacy in the title. And then you mentioned the website, Turning Data into Wisdom. I'm trying to make it an educational site for anyone who wants to do more data decision-making, data citizenship, data literacy. As articles, we're going to be adding training courses and other things as well. So check it out. Fantastic. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was lovely to have you here. I really enjoyed the conversation and I'd like to continue it sometime in the future, maybe have you on for another episode. Yeah, love to. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.